Good morning. <laughs> We're a little nervous. This is the first time I've got to do this, so don't be hard on me. But I figured we're family, so if I'm going to mess up, I'll mess up with family. We'd be good, right? I'll be good. Um, I didn't have to think hard about what I wanted to talk about today. If ever I was going to be given the opportunity to talk, I was going to talk about this. Um, we all have our favorite things or things that make us excited and passionate in our walk, whether it's prayer or worship or evangelism. For me, it's the Word of God. It's opening up the Word of God and digging into it and finding stuff and helping other people find it and do the same. So that's what I'm going to talk about today, the Word. I'm sorry if that's already boring to you and you're going to check out, but I hope you don't. Because, you know, I hope to encourage, maybe refresh, remind, stir us up in our desire to make this book central to our walk with Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come together like this and opening up your word. And I pray that you be faithful to it, that it does not return to us void, and that it is alive and powerful, Father. And I pray that that be... Uh, received and heard and soaked up today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, if we're going to talk about Scripture, we may as well start with it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us Equip his people to do every good work. That's scripture in a nutshell. No need to explain. It's pretty clear. I said it like, out like that with the four points to make that clear. It tells us the truth, shows us where we're wrong, corrects us, and shows us how to do right. It's literally our manual for life. Matthew 22 verse 37 says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. We're really good at loving God with our heart and soul. That's our emotions and feelings. Yeah? It's easy because it can come naturally. You don't have to explain it. It's not hard for people to know. And there's nothing wrong with our emotions and our feelings. But we can't base it solely on those things. Why? Because your feelings and emotions change. I can feel really good about doing something that's not good for me. And I can feel really bad about having to do something that's good for me, yeah? The Word of God is really solidly steady. And that commandment says that we're to love Him in three parts, and they're all equal. But how often have you heard people say that they love God with their mind? Can you confess to loving God with your mind? What does that look like? What does that mean? It's just knowing His Word, Knowing his word. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed means to change in nature and appearance. So it means you become something that you weren't before, and it's really clear and obvious to everyone. You've changed. Why have you changed? That scripture says, because your mind has changed. So we need to feed our minds with his word because it starts here and it goes down to our heart. Think about it. What makes you do what you do? 
What makes you react the way you react when other people react differently? It's the thoughts in your head. Wrong behavior comes from wrong thinking. Right behavior comes from right thinking. Being changed as a believer is removing our old way of thinking and getting the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ in here. So we need to feed on God's word. But we need to feed it in total, in completeness. It's a whole meal. It's not a snack. Yeah? It's not just our favorite passage, favorite part of it. It's the whole thing. If this is the manual for living, there are some books in here that some of us have never read, me included. But we need to know the whole thing. Otherwise, we miss out on the depth and the scope of who God is. We just get a snippet of what we choose to read. Who of you students here takes maths, science? Well, yeah, so you'd have a textbook, yeah? Or a manual? What if you went to your teacher this week and said, for this year, um, I'm just going to read the first line or the first chapter of the textbook, and then maybe the middle, and then just the end. That's all I'm going to read this year. Do you think you're going to pass? You think you would get through the year? No. What about if you were to read a letter? You got a letter from Cousin Mary. You opened it up. You read the first line, jumped to the middle, turned it over, highlighted a couple of words you liked, and then read the end. A week later, Cousin Mary calls. Hey, did you read my letter? Yeah. Did you read everything? Yeah. Then why didn't you call? Oh, did I have to call? Yeah, that's what I said in the letter. No one reads a letter like that, right? Who does that? We do that with this. We read and we understand it in snippets and little bits here and there. Um, our favorite bits, we ignore whole parts. We don't read the complete thing. So we don't get the full understanding. And if you are really encouraged by what you've read now, if that's what you've done, imagine if you read the whole thing and understood God with your mind, loved him with your mind. I have a, a personal example of that truth being a revelation in my life. Uh, and it changed the way I understood Scripture. In fact, it was a turning point for how I understood Scripture. I used to go to a church where faith was a predominant theme in the preaching. So Hebrews chapter 11 was often preached, often preached. And if you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, it is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, like the Hall of Fame, you know, the one with all the rock stars. Well, the Hall of Faith is the roll call of all the heroes of faith. All the big hitters, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Samuel, Gideon, all of them there. And it's a very motivating and exciting chapter because it puts all the heroes there and makes you realize you're going to be like that. And I loved Hebrews 11. I was like, yes, I want faith like that. And I loved it. So I moved towns and I went, joined a new church and I joined a small group there, and they just so happened to be studying Hebrews 11. And I'm like, yes, I got this. I know this. I love it. And the homework was to read the chapter before the study. I had never actually done that. 
in all my years of sitting under the teaching of Hebrews 11, I'd never read it. In fact, I heard something on the radio the other day. Um, sorry, Paul, but they say for the most part, people have not read the scriptures that preachers have preached, for the most part. They actually don't read it. So I had never read it. I'm like, oh, good, we'll read. Hebrews 11 is 40 verses. 1 to 35 was familiar. I knew it, highlight, circle, loved it. The last five verses was that. And I'm glad that um, they got it up there so you could read it. That threw me. When I read that, I was like, is this the right book? I hope you've read that. I was like, why have I never heard that? In all my years of hearing preaching on Hebrews 11, no one ever read that. And it really messed with my head because, see, I had come to understand that faith was this exciting, awesome, almost glamorous thing that was wonderful and I wanted to be with it. It was kind of pretty and romantic. And then I came across that, that passage that is in the same book. And these people, they don't even name them. Look at the horrible things that happens to them. They're not named, and yet they're in this book where they're heralded as heroes of the faith. And so I realized, man, I've relied so much on what was taught up the front. I didn't bother to read the word for myself to know what was in it. You know, in Acts, they talk about a group of uh, scholars called the Bereans. And they used to follow Jesus and listen to what he said, took down notes, and then they go back home and open up the scriptures to see if what he was saying was right. We need to be Bereans. I mean, if they were able to call out Jesus, then I'm thinking anybody down from that, we can check what they're saying, right? But you need to go into it to find out. And that, that changed the game for me. Because I realized, nah, no more. I'm going to read and know for myself. It's awesome that we get messaging up the front that encourages us. But you ought to feed yourself in your own time, knowing the words. Um, I want to do a little exercise now just to give an illustration as to why the word is so important for us. So let me ask you this question. How would you determine if a Christian is successful? What would you say? It would probably be along the lines of they know scripture really well, they can preach well, they're great at praying, evangel they've saved lots of people, led them to the Lord. That's what you'd probably say. Well, what does God say? Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Otherwise called the royal commandment or the golden commandment. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So God's standard for success as a Christian is that, love. So let me ask you something. If you could do this in the, just in your head, don't talk to your neighbor. I'd like you to rate yourself as to how loving you are in light of that scripture from zero to ten. Zero is not loving at all. Ten is perfectly loving. 
So give, you, give yourself a score, a number. How loving are you? Okay. I don't want to know your number. I'm more interested in how you got your number. How'd you figure that out? How'd you gauge that? It might have been along the lines of, well, you know, I'm a nice person. I'm not that bad. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as such and such. Or I used to be really bad, but now I'm much better, so I give myself that number. That's kind of the way we go, right? Well, let's drill that down a little bit and get even more specific. If God says that standard is love, then what does love look like? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. The love chapter. <laughs> this is love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So we see there, God tells us that his kind of love is unselfish. So I want you to do something. Read that verse again to yourself, but take the word love out and put your name in it. So it should read like, Sandra is patient and kind. Sandra is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Just quickly skim through there and put your name in there. Cool. Now, I'd like you to rate yourself again. In light of that scripture, how loving are you? Zero to ten. Did anyone's score go up? Did anyone's score stay the same? Whose score went down? <laughs> Thank you for being brave and honest. What was the point of that? What did you learn in that? What did you see in that? Hopefully that, the thing we often don't realize, we defer our measure of things to our own opinion and not the word of God. We kind of flow in with what we think or maybe what others think. And then we come to the word of God. It's so important for us to know that this is what we live and guide our lives are. This is our standard. Not what's popular, not what's on Instagram, but what the Word of God says. Um, I, as Paul said, I lead one of the women's groups, and our group is currently going through the book of Joshua. Um, Joshua, we're just starting with chapter 1. And so we look at here, Joshua 1, verse 7 to 8. Um, Joshua was ready to take the pe people of Israel into the promised land. And God is speaking in that first to two, Joshua, giving him instruction, telling him what he needs to do. And this is what he says to him. Be careful to obey all the instruction Moses gives you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. 
From the get-go, Joshua was starting a new era. But right from the start, God wanted him to focus on this. This was a thing that was going to lead them to success. And you have to realize, when God is referring Joshua to the Word, at that time, it's only the first five books. The rest of the Bible hasn't been written yet. Joshua didn't know that his life story was actually going to be the sixth book. But God was referring them to the Word. And also remember that Joshua, he was with Moses from day one. He lived in the generation that came out of Egypt, and he witnessed the most epic miracles, signs and wonders that man had ever seen. I mean, the sea that passed through, food that comes from the sky, God in a cloud directing people along the way, amazing signs and miracles. How'd that work out for those people? Not so good, yeah? Not so good. So it's not a coincidence that God is saying, this is going to guide you, not signs and wonders. They're great, but you have the record of how people saw those and forgot, saw those and didn't obey, went round and round, obey, disobey, obey, disobey. So he's saying to Joshua, look at that, study it, do not depart, and you will be successful that passage always talk, also talks about meditating on the Word. The word meditate uh, freaks out Christians a little bit because we align it with Eastern religion. But what's the difference? Eastern religion meditation is emptying your mind to open it up to whatever, basically. We were talking about this in women's group, and one of our sisters said, well, that's the exact opposite of Christianity. And I'm like, yes, you're absolutely right. Because meditating in God's Word is filling your mind with the Word of God. And meditation is mulling over things. I like the word marinade, going over it, chewing it. And a really good illustration of meditation is a cow. Did you know a cow has many stomachs? All the farmers in the house know that. Someone said to me, seven stomachs. So when that cow eats the grass, it goes into the stomach, they chew on it, it gets processed in the first stomach, and then they regurgitate it. It comes back up, and then it goes into the next stomach. Goes back in, process comes up, into the next stomach. It literally gets the goodness thinged out of it. <laughs> and then the byproduct you see on the, on the, in the paddocks, right? That's what the Word of God does in our lives when you meditate on the Word. You're chewing on it. You're mulling over it. It's never just that first line that you read in the book. Because when you meditate on the Word, God shows you it's like a diamond, different facets. What you see in it today, tomorrow you'll see something else. Two years ago, you'll see something else. That's meditation. Thank you, sister. Meditating on the Word. But also, look at how that passage starts. Be careful to obey. We can know the Word. We can read the Word. But we got to do the Word. We must obey. And the popular scripture about that, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 26. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. 
You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But you must look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Hearers but not doers. Hearing is not enough. Reading the Bible is not enough. It's only half the equation. You've got to do it. Truth in and of itself does nothing. There's truth in this book. Does nothing there. It's got to do something in here. And you've got to do it. So that passage about a mirror, it's like a guy getting ready to go to work in the morning and he looks at his, in the mirror just as he goes out. He looks in it and he says, oh, I didn't wash my face properly. There's sleep in my eye. And then, oh, I didn't comb my hair properly. My hair's standing up. He sees that and then he leaves. He doesn't do anything about it. The hearer and not the doer, they see what's wrong. They just don't fix it. This is your mirror. This mirror doesn't lie. The hearer only goes off and what happens? You forget about it. You forget about it and you carry on and nothing changes. If you keep doing that long enough, that verse tells you, you become deceived. How? What's the deception? The deception is you think you're okay. You think you're okay. You can hear the word and not do it. Some people think that there is an actual religion of hearing and not doing. And they convince themselves that they're okay. But it's like this. You're sitting in church. You'll hear a message. Yes, amen. It's convicting. Oh, through the heart. It's a word for me. Somehow we think that that moment of lightning bolt to our head equals my life has now changed. That's kind of silly when we put it that way, but that's actually what we do. We agree, we acknowledge, and then we'll go have a cup of tea, get talking, get into the car park for lunch, and we forget about it. <laughs> We've written it in our notes, and it goes in our bag, and we never read it again. I'm guilty of that. Yeah? Hearers without doers. We need to be doers or we deceive ourselves. Then we become a congregation of people who think they're okay, and they're not. And you won't know that if you're not in here. I had a really cool story um, a woman shared. She said she went to her daughter's parent-teacher uh, interview, like you have. And her daughter's teacher used to be a beauty queen. So she was real pretty. And they were sitting there talking about stuff, and the lady said that she wasn't hearing anything that the teacher said. She just kept staring at her because she was so beautiful. I mean, these days, the way girls do makeup these days, you understand that. It's like when you're on a plane. I always look at the air stewards. Such beautiful, flawless makeup. It made her, she was just staring at it, admiring, thinking, are you real? But it occurred to her, this woman had mastered her mirror. She got that thing here, she looked with every blemish, every crinkle, wrinkle, marks, and us ladies would know it's all about lighting. No use looking in a mirror when there's lighting's not there. You get into lighting, that really shows you all this bad stuff, yeah? And she fixes it. She fixes it in the morning, so when she walks out of the door, steps out into the world, she's all good, and people are like, wow, you look really beautiful, what is it? 
In the same way, your mirror, bring it up here. Get the right lighting. Where are the blemishes? The things that need change, and you fix it. And you walk out that door, step out into the world, and people are like, wow, there's something about you. What is it about you? There's something that draws me to you. That's what scripture does. That's what it needs to do. Final scripture, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful, is live and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This book knows you better than you know yourself, folks. Read it. Find it. And the thing is, God knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He wants you to know where you're at so that you know what needs to be changed. You know what to fix because there's work to be done. He makes you whole because there's a world out there waiting for you, waiting for you to go out there whole and show them how to find the same. So I have talked a lot about Scripture and Scripture. I always think it's important to be practical. And I thought if I was to sum up my message today, I thought, how would I put it on Instagram? I'd put it like this. The word. Read it, chew it, do it. Read it in any kind of way you do. Bible in a year, devotional. Can I say, though, that sometimes we, you know where you start with Bible study is actually closer to home than you think. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, right, right here, right now, that's where God has your attention. That's where you go into the Word. Whatever you're struggling through, because you'll find the answer for that, and that will become real to you in a way because you're living it. That's the best place to start. Chewing it, twofold. Memorizing and meditation. Young people, memorizing. Children's church back in my day was really old school. We were made to memorize passages of scripture. When I was seven or eight, whole psalms we'd have to get up and recite. Promise you, it will change your life that you know scripture in here. Don't worry about the references, just know it. Find favorite verses, memorize it, memorize it. Because one day you'll pray for someone, you'll talk to someone, and you'll be amazed at how much it just comes to the top, yeah? And memorizing leads on to meditation. Just have the word soak in you. Sing it, pray it, put it on the dashboard, put it in your mirrors. Audio is a really awesome thing these days. With social media and everything, you have access to all kinds of things. My favorite thing to do is doing chores on the weekend with podcasts. And Andre always walks into the kitchen with the booming sound of a Southern Texas Baptist preacher. <laughs> I just love it. And the thing about that is, it's just playing in the background, and I'm listening to it, but not deeply. But then something will be said, and the Holy Spirit goes ping, and I'm like, what is that? Rewind, rewind, go back to that. That's what it is, just to have the word around you. You'll pick it up without even thinking. Your spirit will pick it up and your, your spirit man grows. Amen? So that's me.
our words, they're the sharper, our manual for life, yeah? This, we want this to be central. We're in a world where this is becoming very unpopular. It's in a world that's not as respected or as honoured as it used to be. We need to do that in our own lives so that the world can see. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you show us. Show us, out, show us the mirror, Lord. Help us to see the things we do. Help us to see the power of your word in our lives today, Father. Because everything we learn is for those out there who don't know you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your words. Pray that your message will be planted in good, solid soil today. Thank you, Jesus. In your mighty name, amen.